Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to talk to him. One of the great arts of conversation. Sounds charming. The only thing that sounds better is the radio. Well, I tune right in at midnight. Attended to the radio waves. I hold my thoughts till they were just right. Always listen to the Bradley J. I was opening views with ears on the news As they talked, I was focused so much I called on the phone in my car and my home Came out in control and in touch Amid all the sound and the thoughts that surround When they said, speak up, I didn't walk Ooh, Talking talk. WBZ. WBZ News Radio 1030. We're live midnight to five. And we are talking pets, not just regular pets, but exotic pets and New England wildlife. And we have Dr. Greg Mertz, DVM. And we have his son, Zach Mertz, one of his sons. Zach Mertz. Thanks for being in the studio here, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So you come to us by way of Chachi Lopret, who was the prize manager over at WBCN. How do you know Chachi? Well, I met Chachi uh, years ago through Charles Laquadera, and he was a client. Uh, Charles had a lot of different kinds of animals, and uh, we ended up, uh, we, we started running camps at the Wildlife Center, and we used to go into the studio with the kids, and that's how I met Chachi. And then after that, Chachi has chickens, and he started coming with chickens. What kind of animals did Charles have, or do you have patients? Well, he had dogs, and he had pigs, and a variety of other things. I remember he came to me once with a hamster. Uh, So it was was three, four different kinds, and again, they were oddball pets. It's interesting that you are connected with Chachi. I had a dream about Chachi the other day. Chachi, if you're listening, it was a weird dream. (laughs) So I was in a car with Chachi and a girl. The girl was with me. Strangely, the girl had scars on her face that looked like road burn or something, like she'd wiped out on a motorcycle. And Chachi was driving really fast. And I was screaming at Chachi. After a while, he's going so fast, I got nervous and said, um, let me out. Stop the car. Let me out. And he's, he laughs. Ha, 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 ha. And he keeps <laughs> on going fast. And finally, I, I'm screaming at him, stop the car. I'm serious. And he's like, oh, all right, fine. Stops the car, let me out, and then the rest of the dream was this girl and ah uh, and me trying to get to wherever we're going. Weird dreams are weird, right? <laughs> dreams are the great innovations of our lives. Yeah, yeah and I remember uh, Charles when I was a little kid. He used to drive this this really cool fast car. It was a it was a uh, Audi. Yeah, yes, his, an I remember Audi. his bumper sticker said, "You haven't a prayer," and I'll never forget that. <laughs> and I don't know if this is the same Audi, but he had nitrous in one of his Audis <laughs> and he blew up his engine he blew up his car by misusing the nitrous 
But he, had, he was making a lot of bread at the time. I think he could probably afford it. Okay, now here you are, all are, and you're doing great work. You, uh, we have um, Dr. Greg is the CEO, Chief Medical and Program Director of the New England Wildlife Center, and son Zach Mertz is Executive Director at the Wildlife Center and Assistant Director at New England Wildlife Center. And one's in Weymouth and one's, where's the other one? The other is in Barnstable okay. on the Cape. So you do the same basic thing at two locations. Yep. And if I understand it correctly, you work with New England Wildlife, and that's sort of funded by taking care of exotic pets. In part, yes, that's right. What did I not right. get right there? So, well, no, you, uh, yeah, you got everything right. We are one large organization that has two different locations. We have two different hospitals, and we see uh, – exotic animals as a mechanism for providing funds to the nonprofit. And we also do lots of fundraising and events and writing proposals to foundations and, and all the, that uh, sort of thing. And yeah. the, the sort of overarching goal of the nonprofit is to provide direct veterinary medical care to wildlife in need. So that's sick, injured, and orphaned animals of about 225 different species. Pretty much anything you'd find in your backyard. Um, we can take in, provide care to, with the goal of getting it back out to the wild. And along the way, we do a lot of science education, um, STEM education with K through 12, all the way up through graduate and postgraduate students. So if somebody finds a, an injured wild animal in your area, they sh should call you. Absolutely. They should call us. Except absolutely. for two species, the deer and the bear. Can you explain why? Yes. Well, they can absolutely still call us if they want. Um, but in Massachusetts, licensed wildlife rehabilitators, wildlife veterinarians, we're not allowed to treat these these animals um, for more than the first 24 hours, providing stabilizing care. Um, but if you come across those animals and they are injured, I encourage you to either call us, Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, or the Environmental Police. Tell me what you told me before about the deer and why people uh, sh shouldn't. If you, f if you find a young deer in your yard alone and you think it's abandoned, you should leave it there? Yeah, you should leave it there. Deer are... The, the mother deer, the doe, um, often, not often, most of the time, will not visit the fawn except for once a day. In other words, they'll come in like 3.30, 4.30 in the morning, and the, the, uh, the fawn will feed. And the rest of the time, they are so well camouflaged that they live... Um, and just lie in the in the woodland or on a uh, next to a a, a a meadow, and they're so well camouflaged. But people, nevertheless, will stumble across them, find them, and then they start to watch and they watch, and they decide that the mother is not coming back. Right. But it's only at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning that they're there, and so then people decide that they should pick these animals up and bring them in for care. And I have to tell you, it does not go well for the baby deer. Like if you try to raise a baby deer in captivity, it just does not reintegrate back into the wild. Deer are very territorial, and the the young deer just don't know the rules and res regulations of the road when they go back out to the wild. So a baby deer is alone a lot of the time, just sitting there all camouflaged. Yes. Mother only comes back for like an hour in the middle of the night. That's it? That's right. What's the... That's right. Is that normal? Is that that's a great strategy? I mean, it's a great survival strategy for an animal. I mean, every every animal has its own survival strategies, and this one works for them. And um, 
yeah, it, it, they bring very little notice to themselves. And as a result, they get left alone. I guess it works because they are a successful species. They are a successful species. species. But they are, if, if some predator does wander by, then the deer is buzzard meat, so to speak. Yeah, yeah mincemeat, yep. That's exactly the natural way. That's the way of the wild. I used to live up in Plum Island for three, this is anecdotal deer story. Three uh, years, in the, in the winter, I used to ride my bike in the wildlife refuge, and you'd see deer from time to time. But one time, a fairly big, must have been a mother, came bounding out, faced me down right in the, in the, in the road, kind of par in the pavement, and you, you could like hear the breath. It was breath. that close. close. Pretty wow. impressive. And there turns out there was a baby nearby. She was a, faced me down for maybe 30 seconds and then bounded off. I was, they're very big, and I was very impressed by that. Yeah, they're, they are big. I remember walking through the woods, actually at the at the uh, New England Wildlife Center in Weymouth, and uh, I was just out for a casual walk, and this buck, something must have sp spooked this buck because he come barreling through the woodlands, and he he came within six inches of, of hitting me. I don't even think he saw me. He just went right by me, and I, I swear if he would have hit me, he would have probably killed me. But they are. They can be intimidating. By the way, we want. I do want to mention that you are very much into educating kids about science. You go into schools, correct? We go into schools. We also host a uh, an undergraduate, high school undergraduate and graduate program where we have students uh, come to us from all over the world, actually, and uh, work right alongside of us and learn about wildlife, learn about medicine, learn about exotic pets the process of how to care for animals. You probably so, have a, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we call it care-based science. That's sort of our, our catchphrase. When you go into a high school, what sort of speech do you give them or what do you teach them? Sure, so we'll uh, we're actually be doing that tomorrow um, That's right. over at the South Shore Charter Public School. Um, and this program we're working on right now is called Urban Energy Proud. And it focuses on the way energy moves through a suburban environment, energy moves through an urban environment, how animals use energy, and uh, tips and tricks that we can all do to lower our carbon footprint. And That's interesting because uh, I should have mentioned before, your background is in coal, right? Coal, yeah. You were, <laughs> you were in Pennsylvania, <laughs> yes, and you were, right. a, you were a coal researcher. <laughs> that's right. I'm impressed. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I spent a, sh a, a fairly short part of my career researching coal, Something called the Vickers micro hardness of coal. <laughs> well, did you just test coal? They bring some coal to you, and you, they would you bring had to, like put a label on it. That's seven. That's a that's a twelve. That boy, you're you're spot on. It was this Vickers micro hardness was all about determining how hard coal was, and the harder the coal was, the less ash it burned with. So it's better. And well, it would well if you wanted a hotter fire, you wanted a softer coal. And so I would determine whether it was a one or a two, or whether right. it was a ten or a twelve. And you got bored doing that. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, because you yeah, didn't do it very it long. Just, it was I didn't do it very long, and it was the sort of thing that I I, I didn't want to work for a coal company. I didn't want to work for an it oil wasn't company. Wasn't you? Hmm? It was not you. It was not me. Who I am in the world. Before we move on, isn't there somewhere in Pennsylvania that's always on fire? There's a 
underground. There's yeah, there Centralia. 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 Talk yeah. about that. Centralia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's been. I I remember going to Centralia as a kid. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and uh, boy, I yeah, uh, it it was always every night on the news you would hear about another home or someone else who died from the the uh, exhaust fumes coming out of the the, the uh, fire underground. So it's always on fire. Underground it's is smoldering for decades now. It's decades and decades now. Yeah. And the, it does give off toxic It gives gases. off toxic, yeah, sulfur sulfur dioxide and, and other yeah, carbon monoxide, uh carbon dioxide. Yeah, and it it um, it really is a it, it is a, a a slow smoldering catastrophe. Uh, going all the time. Yeah, would, it's a are there documentaries on that? Because it sure would be interesting. I, I think there are. I know there are. Yeah, who who was the author that did Walk in the Woods? Bryson? Bryson? Walk in the Woods. There's a guy who did a, a, a book about, might have been Bill Bryson because my mother loved Bill Bryson. He it talked about his uh, experience on the Appalachian Trail, and part of the Appalachian Trail goes over through Centralia. Centralia. And, and he walked over that, and he described it. That's... That is why I knew about it. Zach, can you talk about the energy, that what you teach the kids about how energy moves from A to B? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the focus of this program, I mean, I should say it's all tied into the wildlife care, right? So our, our sort of platform for teaching science is the care of wildlife. Um, and because kids these days, um, especially at the high school age, a big part of their state curriculum is learning about energy. We thought if we could combine um, some of the wildlife care work we're doing and match it to their curriculum at the same time, that would be a win-win. Um, so this program is focused on, it's going to start at the ground level, and uh, we're going to talk about how grazers um, get energy from the environment, how predators take that energy and move it up a trophic level, um, and we keep going from there, and it eventually builds to how humans use energy in their everyday lives. Um, and where the energy waste is, where it comes from, clean energy um, versus non-renewable energy. Um, so it kind of covers the whole gamut of, of energy use, but right along um, with it, it's hitting those core curriculum points. It's cool you you use your backgrounds in, in uh, the way you teach wildlife science. You use all your tools. I like that. Now, what's an exotic pet? What do you consider an exotic pet? Is that a broad term for a lot That's of animals a, that aren't that exotic? It's a really broad term, and it, it catches a lot of, boy, a, a real host of different kinds of animals. So let's put it this way. We don't see dogs and cats. We don't see horses and cows. Um, and, boy, everything else is just about fair game. Squirrel, pig. Squirrels, people bring Miniature pigs. horse. Uh, we don't do miniature. We don't do oh, any yeah, horses that's a horse. at all. Yeah. We don't do any real livestock, although we do chickens and uh, ducks and uh, turkeys and backyard geese and those kinds of things, sure. So another way I, I phrase it is to say it that they're non-traditional pets. Non-traditional, okay. Non-traditional. I, I like that better because when I think of exotic pet, pet, I think of animals that probably shouldn't be pets. That's true. Like big cats and things. Yes. Do people yes. bring you animals that are they ha you have as pets and you, you tell them, you know, you really shouldn't have this animal as a pet? Well, there's, there's a fair number of animals that are not allowed to be pets, either by federal or state law, uh, and sometimes local ordinance. What are some on that list? 
Uh, so any of the poisonous snakes or not, anybody that's on a CITES uh, endangered species, threatened species, um, protected species, th those are all off limits for being, for being a pet. Uh, you know, animals that are, that are not threatened um, are often adopted and turned into a pet. Those are pretty much allowed as long as they are not regulated in one way or another. Even a backyard squirrel is not allowed to be a pet. That's a regulated animal. Wow. Um, some animals that people have as pets, like snakes, are they really pets? In order to With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I would think a pet needs to kind of bond with a human, like a dog. Dogs have this long symbiotic yeah, like, relationship with humans, but and they there's a special relationship, but there's no relationship with a snake, right? The snake doesn't come to like their owner, do they? Wrong. Yeah. Okay. You just haven't wrong. met the right snake yet. <laughs> Help me yeah. out. Um, I do. I I do think we do. You see a divide where you know the folks that own um, dogs and cats and and something like rabbits really have a strong bond directly with the animal and sort of. Um, either jive with their personality or superimpose a personality onto it. And I think with a lot of the reptile clients, you'll find, first of all, a lot of them do have individual personalities um, way beyond what you'd think. Um, the pets, like the, a snake? Uh, or yeah, the snakes and lizards. Um, but also it's a connection to a, a time that's passed, right? Say you're you're really, like Greg's really into geology. Um, okay. I'm really into hydrology. Having some of these, these pets that have been around for hundreds of millions of years sort of connect you back to a time period. Um, where they connect you to an environment that you don't live in, um, and it's yeah, it's it's really cool. People people own these pets for all sorts of different reasons, whether it's um, for the direct connection or for the, the sort of subliminal connection. But um, we love meeting all of them. So, like, if there are a group of snakes, same species and everything, they would be they would have different personalities. Like, that's Bob the snake. He is easily embarrassed. That's that's Jim the snake, super friendly. That's uh, Zelda. She's shy. They have personalities like that? Yes, they do. Ah. They do. And it really, I got to tell you, a lot of it has to do with how much interaction that they have with a human. And the more interaction they have, the more that anthropomorphic personality sort of comes out. Do those types of animals provide the same companionship that a dog or a cat does? So my... my Qualitatively my, and quantitative, qualitatively? My, my take on it is that people who have dogs and cats are looking for family members. And people who have uh, reptiles and oddball animals are looking for a, a new connection to Earth. They're looking for a, um, as well, it's a, sort of what, it's what Zach was saying. It's, it's a connection to uh, a desert. It's a connection to a rainforest. It's a, in other words, there, there are people who are really interested in, in how the earth works. And so it makes a that makes a difference. Now I, I have to I have to tell you I had a Burmese python that lived in my office for a long time. His name was Monty, and it was Monty Python. 
and he lived free in my office. He would just float around and he'd go in a file drawer, desk drawer, you know, whatever. He'd just settle down. And when I would come in the office and sit down in my chair, Monty would come out, come over and sit on my lap. And he did that multiple times. And it, it, and uh, what he's what he's not telling you is that snake was about fifteen feet long as well. They're wild though. Don't you know? Being wild and all, do they snap into wildness and might someday decide oh, I'm going to bite you today? If they get scared of something, but not not typically. I think that some of the reptiles should be off limits. I think that there are some that make really good pets. As far as exotic pets go, in the, in this program, I say what I think. It seems like exotic. Pets, spiders, people have them, maybe not so much for companionship, but so people pay attention to them. Hey, it's, I have a spider. Am I right? And do you, is, that doesn't feel right to me. You are absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's, there is a part of that. And I won't say that every person who comes to the door has that motivation, but there's a, there's a small percentage that, that do. And is it right to hold an animal with that motivation? Probably not. But, you know, people come in all different sizes and shapes, and that could be one of the motivations, and there's lots of other motivations that, that they might, the same very same person might have. You were talking about somebody with a big giant spider? Somebody with a big giant spider. I had a tarantula. Uh, the last contact I had with a client was uh, she had had the spider for 22 years, and the spider used to sleep in bed with her. How big is a tarantula? Uh, they come in all different sizes, but as big as my fist or even... Like a big, meaty body. Big, meaty like body. Like weighs like yeah. a pound? No, no, no. No, If I would, I'd be hard-pressed to think it weighed an ounce. Oh. Maybe 20, 30 grams, 40 grams okay. at most. Hairy? Yeah, very hairy. Yeah, very hairy. Sleeps in the... And you said slept in the bed slept, with her? Slept in her bed. I don't understand why she never rolled on, over on it. I, I don't know. So but, it's tarantula, you know, it's just... It's a spider. I'm guessing... Doesn't know it's a pet. Like, is there? Why wouldn't the, the I, spider just haul off and bite it one day? I have seen. I actually have a tarantula in my my exam room, um, which often comes out when kids walk in the the exam room because they want to see it and they want to hold it. And but anyway, the the uh, uh, I saw a client one time come in with a tarantula, and he would he would lay his fingers on the table. Uh, like he was making a little little tent with his his fingers, and the spider would walk up behind his hands, and look out. You could actually see the spider position and look out at me, and then when I would start to maneuver or something, he would back up, and then he would run run around and go to the other hand and look out between fingers to see who I was. I was going on. So there's a lot more senescence going on, and I think we. We in most all animals, believe. right? I think in a all lot animals. more than you think. Sure. Okay. Sure. Now, can you talk more about the wildlife center? You, did you actually build it and design it? Um, I was one of the people who helped design the the current building that's in Weymouth. So let let me let me give you the, the overview. Mm -hmm. The overview is there's there's two hospitals. They all come underneath the umbrella of what we call the New England Wildlife Centers. So we put a plural on it. But there's a campus in uh, Weymouth, uh, and there's a campus in Barnstable. Uh, the Barnstable one is known as the Birdsey Cape Wildlife Center, and the one in Weymouth is the 
uh, Thomas E. Curtis Wildlife Center and uh, Wildlife Hospital and Education Center. And then on top of that, the odd pet vet is of commercial practice that, again, powers the, uh, the nonprofit. I know you're not a, a dog vet, but are pit bulls a dangerous breed? I, I, probably you're qualified to talk to that, speak to that, right? I'm not qualified. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, well, it depends on the individual dog. Yes, that's, exactly. That's sort of where I land. I think um, if you're a good owner and you give the dog as much love as you can and, and – um, you just got to know your dog and know its behavior and know its know its. Tails Wired in is a certain tendency to because they be dangerous. They're dogs, and some dogs have more wildness in them than other dogs, and there there's an awful lot of it's not just it's not just pit bulls. I mean, there's lots of dogs that that have triggers uh, for aggression, and these are things that are built in intuitively into their genetics. And then there are others that are that are much more um, family oriented and don't have those triggers. So, what I refer to is the hounds, and it doesn't mean just the hounds, but but all the hound-like animals, all the hound-like dogs, are very much a pack-style animal. And if you don't follow the rules of the pack, uh, you can get yourself in trouble. And and but I got to tell you, I I. I don't, there aren't many dogs out there that I'm afraid of. Um, and I really don't think people should be afraid of their dogs at all. It's really kind of a rare situation, sort of a newsworthy situation when something bad happens between a dog and a person. Like this. And this is an example that's not a pit bull. I just wanted to point out. It's news and you're a vet. So yep. <laughs> dog bites hand off Utah boy trying to play. Oh, I saw and that. And the dog bit the hand right off. Two or three inches up the arm. Says a dog bit the hand off a four-year-old Utah boy after he stuck his arm underneath the fence to try to play with the animal. This was a husky. Boy had a sock on his arm when he put it in a gap between the ground and a solid vinyl fence. And uh, hands gone. I saw that. That was a that was a pretty sad story. Um I, I mean, I'm inclined to think that Husky, at least initially, was trying to play with play with the young man. He was enticing him with a sock on his hand, and it just did not go go well, unfortunately. But yeah, you have to think like a dog to get along with a dog, and I don't I don't think you can you you can't turn a play item into a you know you can't be part of your person. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. one thing to stick right, your right. hand he just out. Thought it was like a dog. He to... thought the kid's arm was a dog toy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, the kid couldn't know that, so it's just a right, exactly. bad luck situation. It's a bad luck situation. Yeah. But a good rule of thumb around any any domestic or wild animals, you probably don't want to stick your hand through something you can't just see the other side of, like into a cage or under a fence without. Uh... And especially cover it with a sock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Greg, you were a, after your coal job, you just became a naturalist. <laughs> You became a naturalist, but were you trained to become a naturalist? What's a naturalist, and how can you just become one? You just you declare yourself a naturalist and start. Is that what you doing. did? Actually, I I had a an interest in education. I've always had an interest in education, and I, I, I you know I was raised by my parents to be out of doors a lot, and I knew a fair amount about the outdoors that I could share with other people, and I thought it was important to share it with other people. When did you actually start vet school? 
Not until I was 34 years See, old. See, I wanted to make sure people hear that. So. Yeah, I, I, it took me a long time to... I had a couple of other careers. I've done everything from wash dishes to work in... Uh, I would hope so. Everyone everyone should wash dishes. Well, for dishes. a living. <laughs> everyone should wash dishes for a living for a while. For, I right? agree. Don't you I, think? I couldn't agree more. You know, you want to know something, honestly? One of the best jobs I ever had in my life for being a veterinarian was being a waiter. Oh yeah, tell me in about a restaurant. that. How that? Well, the the way that works translates. The way that works is that when you're a veterinarian, you have multiple patients who have multiple needs, and it's the same. It's analogous to having multiple tables in a restaurant who have multiple customers at it who have multiple needs, and being able to balance all these different needs and requirements of varieties of projects all at the same time is the same thing that's happening when you're waiting in a, an, on a busy night on a Saturday night in a restaurant. Uh, speaking of various pets, cockroaches, I, you mentioned that in your, in your flyer here. Some people have cockroach pets and you do treat them. What can you do for a cockroach? Like how can you fix a cockroach? Most of the problems with cockroaches, and these are not cockroaches that live in your house. These are things like Madagascan oh, okay. cockroaches, Big giants, like du uh, dubia cockroaches. Ones? Yes, people yeah. have those as pets. People have those as pets. The main reason they come to for care, come to us for care, is because they have mites. Really? So they get little in little arachnoid, little spider-like things that live on the body. What a bummer! Yeah, that must make them crazy. It does make them crazy. It makes them very uncomfortable. Do people get mites? Yeah. Well, yeah, people. Get, well, I guess bed bugs are sort of a mite-like. It's not really a mite. It's an insect. But no, when I was thinking, I, of, I just didn't know what you could do. Now I do know that you get, get scabies. Mites. I mean, somebody gets scabies. That's a mite. Which is the same thing as mange and dogs and coyotes and foxes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of treated the same way. <laughs> just yeah. human mites. How about millipedes? What can you do for a millipede? Broken leg? They also <laughs> did you set it or did you just you, remove it? Because they have plenty. Well, you, it depends how the bad the, the leg wow. is. You know, you know, you they only have a hundred. You can't be losing legs left and right. Yeah. And still, I guess I might be a callous person. That's I don't know if I could. I can't imagine bonding with a millipede. I can't imagine bonding with a millipede. But people either, do, but, right? But people do. I have yeah. three more, two more questions. First, for Zach, you're a hydrologist. What's a hydrologist? Sure. Um, so hydrologist is a scientist that studies water. Simplest way to put it. You just study the water supply, the water tables, the earth's water. Absolutely. Um, the whole sort of the whole water cycle. My focus was in sea level rise and then something called socio hydrology. So specifically how people interact with um, water and how people in specifically in Boston are adapting to flood uh, threats. So is this is the sea level rising. It is. It is. Significantly? Significantly. No matter how you slice it, even the most conservative estimates, we're looking at uh, three feet in the next you know, 70 or so years. What about in the next 10 years? Um, still going up. And you, like I mean, eight inches? You know, it's hard to put an exact number okay. on it. But so you give can... me an idea of what one foot of sea level rise would mean for Boston. Sure. So you ever been down to... Uh, you know, say where the aquarium is. Yeah. Um, you go down there at high tide um, during any sort of storm event, and you're getting flood wash over. So you have to imagine whatever that high tide is and that storm event brings in a storm surge is going to be one foot taller. And when you're talking about a city like Boston that doesn't have a lot of topography, pretty flat, right. one foot can make a big difference. We're almost out of time. 
Is uh, climate change real? I think uh, incontrovertibly it, it is. So you mean yes? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. I mean, you're a scientist. Thanks a lot, you guys. In 30 seconds, how can people help you out? Boy, the biggest way they can help us out is help us out with financially. You know, we're it takes almost it takes about two million dollars a year to run these two hospitals, and uh, we care for thousands and thousands of wild animals each year, and we teach hundreds and hundreds of okay. kids of all ages. Is there a website where they can find you? They can go to NewEnglandWildlife.org. NewEnglandWildlife.org. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Dr. Greg Mertz, DVM, and Zach Mertz, his son, do, fighting the good fight, doing the good work. WBZ, thanks a lot, folks. That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to the Jay Talking Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ Boston's News Radio. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.